morning. Do we have any uh, any counterfeiters in here? Uh, have you ever you ever touched counterfeit money? We when I was in the Air Force uh, when when we were in Nebraska one time uh, our our branch where we were doing a fundraiser we went to uh, the Omaha Royals Stadium when they were still called the Royals and uh, we did a, uh, a a concession. Uh, went a booth, but it's like a little little room in the in the aisleway. We sold hot dogs and nachos and stuff, and uh, you know all night long we're we're taking money, taking money, handing out food and and such. And at one point, somebody handed me this this twenty, and you know it just didn't feel right. It was slick, you know, it didn't have that texture, didn't have that that bite that uh, real money has. And uh, you know, lo- looking at it, it looked really. Right. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't tell by looking at it, but it just didn't have the the right feel. And uh, I was reading about this this week. The uh, in the story of Christian theology, uh, theologian Roger Olson he writes uh, a popular misconception, perhaps a, a Christian urban legend, is that the United States Secret Service never shows bank tellers counterfeit money when teaching them to identify it. The agents who do the training, so the legend goes, shows bank tellers only examples of the genuine money so that when the phony money appears before them, they'll know it by its difference from the real thing. And the story is supposed to make the point that Christians ought to study the truth and never heresy. And uh, an illustration, I intuited its falseness. On checking with the uh, Treasury, Depart- Treasury Department's Minneapolis Secret Service agent, in charge of training bank tellers to identify counterfeit money, my suspicion was confirmed. He laughed at the story and wondered aloud who would start it and who would believe it. And at at my request, he sent me a letter confirming that the Secret Service does, in fact, show examples of counterfeit money to its bank tellers. And he says, I believe it's important and valuable for Christians to know not only theological correctness, Orthodoxy, but also the ideas of those judged as heretics within the church's story. One reason is that it is almost impossible to appreciate the meaning of orthodoxy without understanding the heresies that forced its development. And, uh, you know, we, we go back to the first century when uh, John wrote this book that we're going through, First John, this letter to the churches. And uh, he... In today's text, he, he talks about how that first century church, they didn't necessarily have problems with counterfeit money, but they had counterfeit teachers, counterfeit teachers, uh, teachers who preached a different Christ, Pre- teachers who were antagonistic towards the, uh, the real Christ. And the same problem confronts us times have changed a lot, but 2,000 years later, we, we still have a lot of counterfeit. And, uh, you know, just as in John's church, there are those who come with a, with a false gospel. They teach something other than uh, the truth of God's word concerning Jesus Christ. And as, as bank tellers need to know the difference between the, the real and, and the counterfeit, we also need to know the difference be able to recognize the fakes. So today's text is 1 John 2, 18 through 27, where John addresses this. Uh, these These are false teachers. John calls them antichrists. 
And these, according to John, are, are marked by the, uh, the denial of the Father and, and the Son. So read with me, 1 John 2, 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist has come, and now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not, or they are, they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will too, or you too will be able to, you will abide, let me start over that, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you've received from him abides in you so that you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, it is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, I pray that you would uh, teach us from your word this morning. Holy Spirit, come, illuminate your, your words. Prepare our hearts to receive your word and ultimately to, uh, to bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. So from this uh, passage, you know, we, we see that the, the last hour is here. And we can stand secure in the truth as, as we abide in him, as he abides in us. So let's look first at, at this warning where, where John says the, the last hour is here. And this the Greek word for last is the word eschatos, from, from the word we get eschatology from, the, the study of the, the last things. Eschatos is a last in a series. And the word for hour that he uses here, the, the last hour, uh, can, can mean a period of time within a day, but it can, it's also used to in, indicate a period of time, you know, a, 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 a point of time as an occasion for an event. And... Uh, yeah, there's different ways John could have said this. He could have said, we're in the last days, we're in the last years, we're in the last hours. But he says we're in the last hour, and I, I think that's significant. Yeah, I, think it, I think he's pointing out the, the urgency, that the return of Christ is, is imminent. It can, it can occur at any time. He could, he could come right now, this second, as, as we're in here worshiping him. Any hour, any moment. And when John wrote this 2,000 years ago, he said he was in the last hour. We were in the last hour. And it was true. When did this last hour begin? 
when Jesus was raised from the dead, when he returned it to heaven. So we, we are in the last times. We have been. We need to be ready. And, and Jesus stressed this uh, in, in Luke twelve thirty five through 40. Uh, 35 is a, a verse I, I quote all the time. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service, have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is is the imminence of, of Christ's return. Now, what is it that makes this the last hour according to John? He says, first of all, that these antichrists have appeared. Uh, the Greek word is antichristos, which just means against Christ. And, you know, he begins by saying the antichrist is coming, but now many antichrists have come. And it's, it's those he's going to talk about and look at in, the, in this passage. These people who were against Christ. And he says many have come. An antichrist is, is an adversary of, of the Christ, an adversary of, of the Messiah. One who, one who opposes Christ. It's a person who's hostile to the gospel of Christ. And John says we've heard that the antichrist is coming, but in fact many have come. So he's not talking about a single person here. He's, he's saying there are many who are preaching a false gospel, many who are preaching a false Christ, some of them even claiming to be Christ. It's interesting to get on, do a Google search on this about all of the instances of people throughout the last couple thousand years who have claimed to be Jesus returned. You know, there, there are many who are, are teaching things that, that stand against Christ, things that stand against the gospel, things that stand against what he commanded. And Jesus said this would, would happen in Matthew 24, 23 through 24. He says, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, even if possible, the elect. The second indication that this is the last hour is, is the departure of some Christians who, who are against Christ. You know, this indicates the, the spirit of Antichrist, which John will talk about later in the, the book. This, this spirit of Antichrist, which has, has now laid siege to uh, John's church, now, the, interesting, uh, the, the Apostle Paul doesn't use the term antichrist. But in 2 Thessalonians, he, 2 Thessalonians, he talks about the, uh, the man of lawlessness. 
Jesus won't return until this man of lawlessness comes. He warns against uh, those whom John would apply this term, Antichrist. 1 Timothy 6, 2 through 5, he tells Timothy this. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. When Paul addressed the uh, Ephesian elders in in Acts 20, he, he talked about this type of person. He called this type of person a wolf. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. These, these wolves are, are anti-Christ. They are against Christ. They are against the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. They're, they're ravenous creatures who are devouring the flock. They're, they're intent on damaging the church. They're intent on bringing division into the church. They've not continued in the gospel, but they veered off into setting themselves up as objects of worship. Antichrists. And John says they're clearly and plainly not of us. They might have been in the past, or we might have thought them to be in the past, but they are not. So the last hour is here. We are in the last hour. We have perils. We, we face issues and, and problems with, with counterfeits. Okay, but the good news, there's a remedy. We can stand secure. Why? Well, because John says, you've been anointed by the Holy One. If we've been saved, if, we, if we've been born again, believed in Jesus, received him as our Savior, we have the Holy Spirit. We've got the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we have all knowledge. This is the good news. You know, this is, this is the great news that, that really stands in contrast to what John has been talking about. He says, you've been anointed by the Holy One. What does it mean to be anointed? If we look in the Old Testament in, in Exodus, uh, Aaron you know, the, the, the priest, Moses' brother, was, was anointed with oil as he was consecrated for the, uh, the priesthood. In the New Testament, this word refers to the, the Holy Spirit. You know, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. It says that in Acts 10.38. Remember when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? Remember what happened? It says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. In Luke four eighteen through 19, uh, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives 
and recovering the sight of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, you know, just as, as Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit when he began his ministry, God sent the Holy Spirit as an anointing on the church on the day of Pentecost. You know, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon this gathered body of believers. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. All together in one place. And suddenly came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Utterance. John says, we've been anointed. You've been anointed if you're a believer. If you're a true believer, the the children, the the fathers, the, the young men that John just talked about earlier in this chapter, been anointed. We have the Holy Spirit who's been sent, John says, to teach us to teach us. Remember what John, what Jesus said in John sixteen thirteen. He said, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is what John is talking about. This Holy Spirit of God, the spirit of truth is with us. Notice that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit with a personal pronoun. He says he. He doesn't say it. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is, is not a force that we use, but it's a person to be with and indwelt by. Second Corinthians 1, 21 through 22, it says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our, in our hearts as a guarantee. I love that. And so John says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. You know the truth because you have the spirit of the truth. You have the spirit of God. You know the, the truth because the spirit has given us the God-breathed word. He's preserved this Scripture for us, his Bible, it's his word, the word of truth. We know the truth because God sent his son in whom he revealed himself to us. And he says, and because no lie is of the truth, who is the liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the father and the son. No one who denies the son has the has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. What does it mean to deny somebody? In, in biblical terms, it means to, uh, to repudiate, to disdain. You know, it, goes, it goes further than just saying, well, I don't believe in God or I don't believe in Jesus. You know, it's an antagonistic attitude towards him. So an antichrist denies Christ. Uh, John's opponents, remember, we've talked a little bit about the Gnostics. They, uh, they struggled with the, the notion of an incarnational Christ, uh, Christology. You know, 
that uh, the, the notion that that God became human, fully flesh, when He sent His Son as as the Christ. Now, Tom just read about that in Philippians two earlier. John's addressing here specifically the Gnostic heresy, and you know the cults always get it wrong. They always get Jesus wrong. There have been millions who've been led astray who, who deny Christ. You know, some of the, the major cults, uh, you know, the Mormons say, well, Jesus is one of, you know, perhaps millions of gods. He started out just as a man and he became a god. Christian scientists say, well, Jesus was a man. Christ was a, an idea, a divine idea. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was the uh, archangel Michael. You know, we could go on and on and, and talk about the cults, and that just seems to be the one thing they all have in common is they get Jesus wrong. They get Jesus Christ wrong. We need to have a good understanding of, of Jesus, who he is. Um, let, me, let me read the EFCA statement of faith on, on Christ, on Jesus Christ. I, I like the way it's stated here. It says, we believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man. One person and two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinful life and was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God, the Father, as our high priest and advocate. That's a good, concise statement of who Jesus Christ is. So we can we can stand firm and not be led astray by these these antichrists, these people who are against Christ because we know the truth. We've been anointed by the spirit of truth. And the second part of the remedy is that we are able to and must abide in him and have him abide in us. John has talked about this already quite a bit. He says, let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. John just just keeps emphasizing this. You know, it's so important. John in his second epistle, 2 John 5 through 6, he addresses this this thing that that we've heard from the beginning. He says, "We've we've had from the beginning or heard from the beginning that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. And this commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So, let's ask ourselves, does, does God's word abide in us? Does the word from Jesus abide in us? Does it, does it burn in our hearts? Does it, does it dwell in us and, and remain, in us, uh, remain in us to the extent that we, we dare not disobey Christ? You know, there's, there's no question that, that violating Christ's word about loving one another is a matter of eternal significance. It's as if what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. What you've heard from the beginning. Verse 311 says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It's so important. 
Are we going to obey Christ's command? Do we, do we truly want to abide in Christ? Or don't we? You know, if, we if we do not love one another, we are not abiding in Christ, plain and simple, according to John. How can we not take this commandment seriously? Remember, we, we covered this earlier, 1 John 2, just earlier in this chapter, John, 1 John 2, 9 through 11. He says, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Do we believe this? So why do we see division among us? Why do we see hatred and slander? Do we do we have God's word abiding in us? Shouldn't we tremble at this should we should we not uh, re- recoil at, at the thought of living in disobedience to Christ's commandments in the gospel of John Jesus said uh, abide in me and I in you As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. If you abide in me, in my words... Abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So let's let's each examine ourselves. Let's let's look into our our own hearts and ask ourselves: Does does this describe our Christian walk, or are we denying Christ in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions? Are we disdaining the body of Christ? if we truly abide in him and his words truly abide in us, if, if we walk closely with him and live in obedience to his commandments, what great promise we, we have from him. That's a beautiful passage. Let's, let's work on this. Let's glorify him. Let's allow him to work in us through his Holy Spirit to bear fruit. Let his words and his commandments abide in us and actually obey him. 
Let's bear the, the fruit of righteousness in our lives, in, in our church. And let's enjoy this eternal life that he's promised us and the abundant life that, that he's given us, that he came to, to bring to us. Yeah, I was talking with a friend um, a couple weeks ago, and he was, I was telling him we were going through First John. He goes, you know, the thing I don't like about First John is it's so repetitive. John just keeps repeating himself over and over and over again. And when you read it, you'll, you'll see that. He, there, there's these, these handful of really important things that he just keeps hammering on again and again. You know, he keeps bringing up how we need to keep and observe Christ's commandments. He, he repeats over and over again about, about being in the light and abiding in the light and walking in the light. And, uh, you know, he especially repeats himself about love. You know, maybe, maybe we should pay attention, huh? Maybe this repetition is there for a reason. Maybe it's important. You know, apparently we need to hear these things over and over again. I heard a story about a, a preacher who preached a sermon. Next week he came back and preached that very same sermon again. Third week he came back and preached that same sermon again. And somebody asked him, what, what's up with this? He goes, well, I'm going to keep preaching this sermon until we start obeying, until we start doing it. Well, John began this uh, section about talking about antichrists. You know, those, those are those who are antichrist, against Christ. You know, could it, could it be that those who refuse to keep his commandments those who will not walk in the light, those who will not love each other are against Christ himself, are against the the body of Christ. John says in verse 26, "I, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Yeah, I don't think most of us are going to be deceived by somebody who comes up to us and says, well, there is no God. Or, you know, I believe that Jesus was a very well-adjusted individual and and he had a lot of really good things to say. Or, you know, the things that that the cults believe. I don't think most of us are going to be deceived by that. We're going to be deceived by more subtle things. We're going to be deceived by people who tell us that, well, just like Satan told Eve, God didn't really mean that. That doesn't apply to me. As, as clear as it is in the scripture, we sometimes tend to do that, don't we? We say, well, the other people need to listen to that, but not me. We're, we're more likely to be deceived by somebody who's using the gospel as a means of gain or using God's word to uh, manipulate and control others. You know, John's just writing in very simple and straightforward terms here. We have the anointing. We have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God indwelling us. We, we must choose to abide in him though. He says, we have the anointing. 
But he gives us this command, this imperative, abide in him. It's a choice as to whether we're going to remain in Christ and have him remain in us. It's our choice whether we do that or or turn our back and ignore him and not abide in him. 27, verse 27, he says, but the anointing that you've received from him abides in you. You have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So by his spirit, God indwells John's readers. He indwells those of us who are saved by the Lord. He indwells us by this, uh, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, uh, who is our most fundamental defense against deception. John writes later in the, in the chapter, in chapter four, as he's talking about false prophets and antichrists, you are from God and have overcome him for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. God's word inspired by this same Holy Spirit. These will provide us protection against deceivers. You know, whatever we hear, we need to hold up to the truth of God's word. Do we not? Do we not need to know God's word and regularly apply it to our lives? Not be just hearers, but be doers. Let it just penetrate us deeply and we won't be deceived. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to illuminate God's word. We need to be in prayer as we go through God's word. You know, and under his anointing, let's let's become doers of God's word. Let's yield to him. Let's, Let's put it into practice. Let's practice his will for us. So here we are, we're in the last hour. Um, There are many antichrists, there are many people who are against Christ and against the church, his body. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 4.3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. These are people who are not listening to the Holy Spirit. These are people who don't don't know their Bibles. Let's not deny Christ. Let's not disdain him by disdaining his body. Paul tells Timothy in Romans 6, no, this is not Timothy. He's writing the Romans 16, 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, that by smooth talk and flattery they may deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So time is short. We need to have a sense of urgency here. 
We need to be walking in the light. We need to be abiding in Christ, obeying him, being wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Jesus says, be dressed for action and keep your lamp burning. Dress for action and lamp burning, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we can, get, we can do this. We can do this through, through his spirit, the spirit of truth, and by abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Um, our Father, Lord, we, we know that, that time is short. Lord, we know that we are in the last hour, and uh, I just pray, Lord, that we would live in a way that honors you. Let us live in a way that uh, clearly demonstrates that we, we're ready. We're dressed for action and our lamps are burning. Let us be, Lord, a church that lives in obedience to your commandments. A church that, that disdains sin rather than disdaining each other. Lord, let us, let us walk in a manner that's worthy of this anointing that you've given us. Let us abide in you and you in us. Let your word dwell in us richly, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.